is now time to talk about that most fascinating of fowl, the owl. They have a singular symbolic power in cultures around the world. They are seen as everything from wise and powerful spirits to bearers of bad luck. Now, until recently, owls have been, uh, well, largely mysterious, but now science is helping us unlock their secrets. Award-winning science writer Jennifer Ackerman uh, documents all this in her new book, What an Owl Knows, the new science of the world's most enigmatic birds. And Jennifer, welcome to Late Night Live, which, as you can tell from the title, is designed for night owls. What initially drew you to these creatures? <laughs> well, I am not a night owl. I'm a, I'm a lark as they go. But, um, you know, I love birds, really all birds. But I find owls just, uh, they're so unique in the bird world. You know, they're these um, skilled night hunters. They're, they're called uh, wolves of the sky. And they have um, sensory superpowers that allow them to to pinpoint their prey in pitch dark. We're, so we're, we're going to look into their superpowers a little later, but I get your drift. Now, of course, you're not alone in this interest in them. You talk about, uh, well, you give us some great stories from citizen scientists. Introduce us to your Dutch musician. Ah. Yes, this uh, this is a musician named Marion Savelsberg, and she uses her very finely tuned musical ear to listen in on the, the social behavior of Eurasian eagle owls, their vocalizations, uh, which reveal their individual identity and also their infidelity and divorce. And she's learned a great deal about <laughs> these birds by listening in on their, their behavior. I would have thought an owl's sex life should be, you know, its own business, but then... Okay, tell me about the emergency room nurse. Uh, yes, uh, this is Julie Kasmarsik, and she is uh, the coordinator of the emergency department in a major hospital during the day. And after a full day of, of doing this work, managing trauma, medical emergencies, she heads out at night to catch tiny northern sawwit owls in mist nets and banned them as part of a, a scientific research project. And, and sometimes she never goes home to bed, but she goes straight from these this banding work right back to the emergency room. Now, owls, uh, well, they evolved quite differently to other birds, didn't they? Yes, they they um, well they started out uh, like all birds as you know their their ancestors are are dinosaurs little predatory dinosaurs that lived with the the bigger dinosaurs, um, but then when when there was the mass extinction and the big dinosaurs died off, some of those smaller dinosaurs survived, including the the forerunners of today's owls and really indeed all other living bird species. But owls, they probably diverged from their day-active sister birds uh, around the same time that, that little mammals came out from under the shadow of the, the big dinosaurs after those massive beasts had died off. And these little mammals, they began to diversify. And some of them, the ancestors of mice and shrews and possums, they actually took to night niches. And owls adapted right along with them, evolving this, this suite of quite remarkable traits to take advantage of this new nocturnal feast. 
We're going to get uh, into their sex lives shortly, but first of all, tell me about the rather disgusting way they eat things. <laughs> sometimes they eat their prey whole, and um, sometimes they disembowel their prey. Uh, and one of the really remarkable things is that is how they handle the indigestible bits of their prey, the, the claw, the furs, the feathers. They eat all kinds of, of birds and small mammals. But these um, indigestible parts are actually compressed in their stomach into a pellet. And it takes several hours, but the owl eventually ejects that pellet, coughs it up, and, um, and all that the, those bits of indigestible parts turn into this kind of cigar-like, very compressed and compact um, pellet. My guest is not Alice, she's a larkish, as she's told us, and her name is Jennifer Ackerman. How uh, many species are there? I know they're all over the globe. They are. There are 260 species, um, and they range on, they live on every continent except Antarctica, and they live in, you know, grasslands, deserts, uh, boreal forest, rainforest. Um, and the 260 species that, uh, that live today, they, they range widely in size and appearance from the, the biggest owl, which is the, the, the massive Blackiston's fish owl, uh, which is the size of a, a fire hydrant. And it's kind of wacky looking. It has these, these tousled ear tufts, very, very funny looking bird, right down to the smallest owl, the tiny elf owl, which is this little nugget of a bird about the size of a small pine cone. Are all owls nocturnal? No, there are some that are uh, crepuscular, that is, they're active at dawn and dusk. And there are some that are actually active during the day, like the northern hawk owl is a bird that, that hunts in the day. Now let us discuss the owl superpowers you were hinting at. Tell me about them. Well, Owls are really such um, astonishingly skilled hunters for three reasons. The First of all, their eyesight, their hearing, and then their very um, exceptionally quiet flight, and their vision. So owls have eyes that are absolutely huge for their body size. I like to tell people that if my eyes were in similar proportion to my body as an owl's eyes are to its body, they'd be about the size of an orange, and they would weigh four pounds. <laughs> So very, very big eyes for their bodies. And, and they, they face forward, which must give them good stereoscopic vision, like, it, like humans. Exactly. It gives them good binocular vision, which is such an important advantage when you're zeroing in on moving prey, as these uh, birds are. And their retinas are super sensitive to light, so they can see very well in very dim light. There is a, a, a myth an urban myth at least, that owls can rotate their heads in a full circle. Not possible, surely. No, but some species can rotate their heads um, three quarters of the way around 270 degrees, which is mighty impressive in itself and about three times the flexibility that we humans possess. They are also the avian version of the stealth bomber in that they fly so quietly. They do. They have wings and feathers with very unique features that hush their flight so that they can actually hear their prey well and also approach it silently without alerting it. Um, and, and, you know, our, uh, an owl's wings and feathers are actually so brilliant at quieting sound that, that designers 
have used them to model noise-reducing structures in wind turbine blades, in airplanes, and even Japan's bullet trains. One of Australia's most significant political figures began life as a quiz champion, and he's probably listening to the program, he usually does, and his name is Barry Jones. Now, I've known Barry forever, and he has or had a huge collection of owls. And, of course, the link is the owl's reputation for wisdom. How smart are they? Well, I have to begin by saying that that all birds are far more intelligent than we ever imagined. You know, their brains, they're organized in a different way than ours are, um, and they're small. But but what matters in the intelligent brain is the density of neurons. And it turns out that the brains of birds are extremely dense with neurons and really very efficient. So are owls smart on, in the bird world? Well, we used to think that they acted only by instinct, that their behavior was really just hardwired. But now we understand that they, they too are in fact intelligent, but it's perhaps in ways we just have difficulty fully appreciating and maybe uh, have trouble measuring. Hundreds of species. What about uh, variations of individuals within the species? Could owls be described as having personalities? Oh yes, they're they're highly individual. For one thing, their voices are very individual. They have voices almost as distinct as um, individual fingerprints. So each owl has a has a very different voice, and they also have distinct personalities. It it, it may be hard for us humans to to read this and appreciate it, but uh, you know, one say one long-eared owl may be very laid back, and another might be very high-strung and ornery. And it's the people, <laughs> it's the people who work really closely with captive owls. Um, I feel them if they're injured or to train them to be education animals. Uh, you know, these are owl ambassadors that go into schools and communities to teach people about the nature of owls. These individuals are learning things that you can only learn up close one-on-one with an owl. And it's, you know, some of these mysteries of their individuality and their personality. You also describe them as quick to learn and playful. Yes, they are. Um, uh, one ornithologist told me a story about training wild barred owls, and he would train them to come to a whistle so that he could either attach a GPS device or retrieve it from the owl. And what he did was this, he would put an owl out in the field and whistle, and a barred owl would come down and take the mouse. He would do this three times, and after the third time, the owl would come to the whistle. And it always took just three sessions of training and a, in a single day, and those owls came to understand exactly what the whistle meant. And so here's, this, here's Pavlov boasting about his dogs. Much more impressive. <laughs> exactly, yes. Okay, now before you were hinting at their love lives, and uh, let's just speak quietly here, tell me about them. Yes, well, we thought for a very long time that owls were monogamous. And uh, because we now understand the individuality of voices, people like Marion Savelsberg can actually listen in on what is happening in an owl's love life. And what she has discovered is that, um, that 
she works with Eurasian eagle owls, and they are not nearly as monogamous as we once thought. She said there's so much mate switching going on with the owls that she monitors sometimes that she has difficulty <laughs> keeping up with it. And she said it's really a soap opera out there. It's um, it's very. It, and she said this just isn't supposed to happen with owls, but it's turning up that this is the case with with uh, many different species of great horned owls uh, among them. You're listening to award-winning writer Jennifer Ackerman, and we're talking about what an owl knows. Now, I learned from you that our fascination with owls goes back at least 30,000 years. What are some of the earlier examples we have from, uh, well, from the ancient world? Yes, so there, the um, the first example is, is the oldest uh cave art ever discovered is an etching of an owl in Chauvet Cave um, in southeastern France. It's 36,000 years old, and it's the first known representation of a bird in cave art anywhere. And then there are owl remains in caves from the Magdalenian cultures, too, around fifteen to 20,000 years ago. Um, and then you've got the ancient Egyptians who used the figure of the owl as a hieroglyph. Um, and also the, the Moche people of northern Peru who lived in the 2nd the century AD, and they created these beautiful owl-shaped objects of gold and bone. And now, you know, all over the world, owls appear in, in our stories and as symbols, um, sometimes, as you said, of wisdom, beneficence, good fortune, sometimes as witches or emblems of evil. Well, of the, the Aztecs considered owls symbols of uh, the underworld. They didn't have the same affection for them. Right, that's true. And it's true, too, of um, of some places in, uh, for instance, Belize. Owls are viewed as bearers of bad luck. And, you know, if an owl comes to your house and calls, it means that someone will get sick or die. And that's actually a view of owls that, that or very slight variations of that view that's a prevalent perspective in, in many countries in Africa, in Zambia, Kenya, and Nepal. It's not surprising, then, that uh, they've remained a, well, a prevalent uh, feature of ancient art. I, I think I mentioned to you off-air that I've got some Greek cups, and there, lo and behold, is the image of the owl. Yes, indeed. And, you know, the, the um, uh, coins in ancient Greece had an owl on one side and Athena on the other. So uh, their association of owls with wisdom goes, goes way back. And you also well. report that the, uh, the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, has uh, over 500 images of owls. Yes, I learned this from um, uh, a wonderful woman who now is called the Owl Lady at the Metropolitan Museum. She's been on a quest to find all of the owl images that are present in the museum, everything from tap in tapestries to sculpture to uh, um, the kinds of cups that you have. And uh, she's, she's found now close to 600. Um, and she has a, a Japanese um, scroll uh illustration of a beautiful boreal owl tattooed on her forearm. <laughs> I've got owl boxes at the farm and uh, would it be possible for me to make one into a pet? In other words, is there any form of emotional bonding with humans? Yes, actually. Um, you know, the owls that uh, that imprint on humans, that is, they're 
they're, as very young chicks, they, their first t- caretakers are humans rather than uh, owls. Uh, the chicks will actually imprint on the humans and they can form very powerful attachments with people, you know, treating people as mates. Now, more casual <laughs> relationships, um, you know, with owls in the wild. I've uh, heard now a lot of stories of people just um, uh, finding a, a connection with owl with an owl that w- that will perch in a particular place and does isn't doesn't seem uh, phased or flustered by the presence of the person, and they can actually kind of create this visual um, chemistry that goes on. That's very very. I suddenly remember that Pablo Picasso had a pet owl, and uh, I can see his illustrations of the creature. That's exactly right. In uh, 1946, he um, he was in Antibes, and he uh, found a an injured owl. It was a little owl, the species, and he um, healed it, and then he took it home with him to Paris. Well, these two had quite a cantankerous relationship. The um, the owl would would uh, snap at Picasso, and Picasso would swear at the owl, <laughs> but. <laughs> serve as a muse for him for uh, um, uh, several decades in his ceramics and etchings. Uh, there's uh, frequently a little owl presiding over the, uh, the the illustration. And other famous owl keepers include Florence Nightingale and, of all people, Teddy Roosevelt. Yes, yes. I was um, fascinated. Teddy Roosevelt had a menagerie of pets. Um, And Florence Nightingale, she had a a pet owl named Athena that she had rescued from some little boys in Athens. Um, But then when the war broke out in the Crimea and uh, Nightingale took her her nursing skills to to the war, she actually put this little owl in her attic before she left, and she thought, okay, the bird will be able to take care of itself, you know, feed on mice in her absence. But that little owl was far too um, domesticated to hunt for herself, and so um, uh, perished in, uh, in, in her attic, very sadly. Jennifer, for all our obsession with owls, we are, as you point out, their worst enemy. What are some of the biggest threats owls face now? Yes, well, I think the loss of native habitat um, is the biggest threat uh, because of development, agriculture, climate change. Um, that's affecting owls of all kinds, um, and some species are are really suffering. the The hardest hit are the those um, owl specialists. They are limited to a, a narrow ecological niche or a small geographic range, or a, maybe an island. Uh, for instance, the Tasmanian masked owl. And I think some of the many of the the owl species in Australia and elsewhere are really at risk from the the disappearance of those big old growth trees that that harbor their nesting hollows. Um, so well, finally, give some advice to the, the owlish people listening to Late Night Live. What can they do as individuals to help? Well, I think the most important thing is to try to help preserve owl habitat. So, you know, if you have a piece of land yourself to um, to create good habitat for owls, that means, you know, not removing dead trees. It means letting things go wild. So, uh the, the small creatures that owls feed on will be drawn there. Um, and also, of course, to, um, to support owl research, education, 
and those organizations and legislation that are promoting habitat conservation. I also tell people, keep your cats indoors and don't use rodenticides. Um, use traps instead because those rodenticides can get into the systems of owls and, and do a lot of damage. Jennifer, you've been a great guest. Thanks for coming on. Jennifer Ackerman, an award-winning science writer and speaker. And uh, we've been talking about her latest book, What's an Owl Know?, published by our friends at Scribe. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you so much. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 